Welcome back to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host, and this is episode 81. A little housekeeping, actually an exciting announcement before we get started with the show. Parallel, this here podcast, has its very own shirt. For the first time, you can get a shirt that represents the podcast. You can go to relay.fm slash parallel and look in the show notes for this episode, as well as on the sidebar for the Parallel merch link. That'll take you to the Cotton Bureau store where you can find a shirt that says Accessibility Sprinkles. Shirts available in men's and women's sizes in varying colors. You can get the t-shirt, you can get the hoodie, you can get a tank top, all the various permutations of shirt out there. And uh, let me describe this thing to you. It just says Accessibility Sprinkles. It doesn't doesn't have the parallel logo or name on it, but if you know, you know. So accessibility is the top line, and it is in the Atkinson hyper-legible font that I've talked about here on the show. The word sprinkles is below, and it is in all caps, but the letters of the word sprinkles are composed of little things that look kind of like candies, and they're in different colors, and it's so it's very colorful and playful and really fun. And if you want to wear the word accessibility sprinkles on your chest and have people ask you what the heck it means, then your response, of course, is why it's all about the Parallel Podcast, the wonderful show from Shelly Brisbane on Relay FM, or you can just say, guess, whatever you like. Anyway, I'd love to have you uh, get one of those shirts if that's interesting to you. And I want to thank the people out there in the Parallel audience, including a couple of past guests that have suggested that we do Parallel shirts. And I'm so excited to be able to do that. Uh, I can also do other things like uh, hats and phone cases and things. And so if there's any other stuff you'd like to see accessibility sprinkles or the Parallel logo on, you know, reach out and we'll see whether that can happen. The phone case is kind of the next thing. I I like the idea of having a Parallel Sprinkles phone case myself. So if you would too, uh, let me know. Now on with the show. Well, we have a return guest on the show today, and uh, it's been three years, which is really hard for me to believe because I remember that show, and it was really great, and it was episode 30, and we talked with developer Rob Whittaker. He is an iOS developer at Cover and also the author of Developing Inclusive Mobile Apps. Rob Whittaker, welcome back to Parallel. Hi, Shelley. Uh, yeah, it's great to be back. It doesn't feel like three years, does it? A lot has kind no, of happened. No, not at then, all. Though. Well, the past three years have been somewhat eventful, shall we say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does it. Well, and, and you and I chat on uh, Twitter and now Mastodon fairly often, so it feels like, yeah, we've been in touch. Um, and, and I will say, and this is this is a milestone for me, and all the, I, I book a lot of uh, shows both on the po- on podcasts and on, on radio, and this is a milestone for me. I think this is the first time I've actually booked somebody through an- Mastodon, so <laughs> I feel like this is, this is my accomplishment for the day. I'm honored. You know, you you might not remember this, but the first uh, episode that I was on was the first episode that you had a, a transcript for the podcast as well. So I feel like I've been here for all of the big milestones. Oh, wow. That's that's <laughs> exciting. And yes, we still we still do the transcripts. And fortunately, I have a pretty good transcription service. I always make a, a note at the top that say we have a transcript. It might not be perfect, but we do our best. So thanks for remembering that because I didn't. Uh, well, first of all, I, I wanted to catch up with you because we talked before uh, sort of in the context of your being uh, the author of this book about inclusive apps and, and development. You were working at a different place at the time, and I guess you've probably uh, had – you've been working in it, continuing to work in accessibility since then. So I guess, I guess my just first open-ended question is what have you been up to for the past little while? Sure. So, well, uh, since we last spoke, um, my main job, I've moved to Cover, as you say, they are a car insurance startup. 
Um, so I work as an iOS engineer for them. Um, so that's my, my day-to-day job. Um, but in terms of accessibility, um, I've had the opportunity to focus on uh, a bunch of different accessibility projects, doing um, training and talking uh, at a load of exciting conferences. I, over the last summer, uh, got to uh, talk at my first conference in the US, which is really exciting. Um, I haven't yet spoken at a conference in Europe uh, outside of the UK, so that's like my next aim for speaking. But uh, yeah, that was a big, uh, quite a big thing. Um, and um, I've uh, been working on some uh, exciting projects with uh, some other kind of uh, organisations to, to help them with their uh, mobile accessibility as well. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about one of those a little bit later. And how about the book? You you published the book, I guess, three years or so ago. Have you continued to update it or is it something? I mean, there's it's there's somewhat of a timeless quality because you're talking about frameworks and, and, and things that don't change regularly, although there are always, you know, developments in, in, in mobile app development. Yeah, I feel like the book is still really relevant. Um, there are definitely new um, features that aren't in the book. Um but a lot of them are kind of additive. Um, so I'm sure we'll talk about some of these things in a little more detail, but things like Swift charts, for example, Swift UI charts, um, is uh, quite a big step forward for accessibility, but it's not specifically an accessibility feature. So I don't even know how that would necessarily fit into the book. Um, the book is published through uh, a publisher, A-Press, um, if I was self-publishing, I would have loved to have kind of incrementally updated it over time, but going through the publisher, it's not quite so easy, unfortunately. So um, perhaps at some point we'll do a second edition, um, but I think maybe we might need to kind of wait for things to change a bit more before we do that. But certainly for now, I think the book is still really relevant. Um, I cover not just APIs, but I cover things like uh, best practices for design and thinking about how to produce um, an accessible and inclusive product. Um, so all of that is going to be relevant regardless of, of what happens to the IPIs on either iOS or Android. Well, that's good to know. And I read the book in preparation for the last time we talked. I haven't looked at it recently, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's still stuff out there and it's still something I can recommend because I always want to find resources for people who either want to develop or who want to add accessibility to the development they're doing since I am not a developer myself and I freely admit that but uh, you know like the things I make absolutely know nothing about development we're, we're just well, I'm on the other side saying why can't you make this feature so that I can use it basically <laughs> I think we've got a good synergy there Shelley because whenever people ask me from a user perspective that's not my uh, kind of area at all so I always direct them to your book for that. I appreciate that. Well, let's talk about some of the things that have developed over time, the sort of changes that have happened and that are relevant to accessibility. And, and one of them uh, is accessibility APIs for Unity apps. Unity apps, obviously, much more important over, the, you know, nowadays. Uh, so, so tell me about those APIs and, and how you use them. Yeah, so this was something that was new from Apple at the last WWDC conference back in June. Um, and um, Unity, for, for those who aren't aware, is uh, a, a framework predominantly for producing games, although it is used for other kind of graphics-heavy apps as well. Um, and it's a, a cross-party 
uh, game engine, really, which um, allows developers to produce, as I say, mostly games for um, Mac, for Windows, for consoles, for iOS. Um, and they can kind of do drag and drop editing for, for uh, actors on, on a scene uh, and add code into those for what happens when the user controls them or when they clash with other elements and things like that. So if you're making a game, um, it's a lot more tailored towards that than a more sort of general environment. Um, but one of the downsides of being cross-platform is it misses out certain things on certain platforms because it has to kind of cover everything. Um, and because it's such a popular platform uh, for making um, games, particularly games that you will often see on iOS, Apple realized that they need to do some work to uh, allow people who are producing games using Unity um, to, to make them accessible. Um, so what Apple have done is they've produced a, a suite of uh, scripts which fit in with the Unity IDE um, so that developers can hook into those scripts and use kind of similar paradigms that you might be used to if you've done accessibility programming on iOS. So things like accessibility label and, and hint and things like that. But they now hook into the Unity IDE, the Unity Editor, um, so that you can produce a game or an app that is cross-platform, um, but when you run it on iOS or on a Mac, it's still going to have that nice interaction with assistive technologies that you get on those platforms. So um, it's a real uh, step forwards for hopefully making gaming more accessible on iOS. Are there applications outside gaming, and this is where I show my ignorance, but is there potentially uh, an application for AR, VR kind of applications that somebody who that might not necessarily be a game, but that's something that somebody with an accessibility need might use? Um, well, so I'm not much of a gamer myself, so this is going slightly outside of my expertise here as well. But um, AR and VR accessibility is a whole different area. Um, there's a, a whole kind of bunch of research being done around that. Um, and I, I would love for you to do a parallel episode on this, um, but I'm probably not the person to ask. But okay. there are definitely... I'm just wondering if Unity specifically had any connection to that, and maybe it doesn't. Maybe that's what I'm hearing, is that it's really more about games in the traditional sense that we think of them. As far as I'm aware, you can create um, AR and VR games using Unity, um, I'm, I may be wrong on that, but as far as I'm aware, you can do. Um, but these um, APIs that Apple have uh, produced wouldn't specifically um, be for that because these are specifically APIs for Apple platforms. Do you happen to know of any games that are using the accessibility APIs? Uh, I'm afraid I don't, sorry. Just curious because I know it's it's gaming is such a challenge in accessibility in the sense that there there has been a lot of improvement. There are a lot of games that have accessibility. I'm not talking specifically about Apple platforms, but you know even on in in the console world. But I think the challenge is not knowing ahead of time whether a game you might be interested in as a user is accessible. And there's not necessarily clues out there other than 
you know, sort of downloading it and trying and finding out. And so I'm always looking for opportunities to tell people, yeah, this is something where they've implemented something that will make it more more accessible. So I'm I'm curious to know whether anybody has has utilized them. But clearly, if Apple's made those UIs and gone to the uh, made those APIs and gone to the trouble of presenting about them at WWDC, it's clearly their intent that somebody would use use them. Yeah, they're certainly uh, highly encouraging their use. There was uh, multiple videos about them at WWDC. So it's definitely something that they're pushing. Um, Unity is um, not something that's within my kind of area of expertise. So um, not something that I, I know a massive amount about how about their use. I just know kind of this is roughly how they work and how they fit into the, the standard iOS and macOS APIs. Um, but yeah, there is, it, it's, with gaming, there is a huge um, kind of uh, push for accessibility in that area at the moment, because traditionally it is somewhere that's lagged behind. Um, but with people like Xbox bringing out their adaptive controller, and I believe that uh, PlayStation have, have uh, worked on something similar now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with you say uh, AR and VR, um, there is that's a whole new area as well because you're so immersed in that. Um, obviously, anyone with a, a visual impairment that's going to have considerations with that. Um, but also people with, uh, say, a balance disorder um, could potentially affect those as well, an anxiety disorder because you are removed from your environment could potentially have uh, issues with that. So there's a lot of research going into those areas at the moment, um, and it's something that I, I'm seeing things improve and kind of new research and new articles being published weekly on topics and uh, in terms of gaming and AR and VR accessibility, but it's such a huge area of change and such a new frontier really at the moment for AR and VR. Another thing that was uh, brought out at WWDC last year, 2022, was Swift charts. And you know what? I never would have connected this to accessibility. Obviously, making charts accessible is something that we want. But if I were looking down a list of new features for developers, I wouldn't have gone, oh, charts. I wonder if there's an accessibility connection there. But you you pointed it out. So tell me about it. Yeah. So um, well, whenever uh, the list of video sessions come out for WWDC. The first thing I do is I look at each one and think, is there potentially something in there for accessibility? And kind of like you, I, I thought, you know, Swift UI charts, that's not that's not going to be anything related to accessibility. So I, I didn't bother with it at first. But then I saw that people were commenting on it. Um, and it relates to something that we we talked about a little bit last time with Swift UI. Swift UI is a new uh, user interface paradigm. Um, that Apple produced a few years ago now, um, which allows you to, as a developer, to essentially describe the user interface that you want in code. So previously, the way we would mostly do it is um, we would almost design something as if you were drawing it out on a piece of paper. Um, So you'd kind of, you know, draw either using a WYSIWYG editor or in code, this is where I want this, and this is where I want this. Um, but with Swift UI, um, you say, okay, give me one of these and one of these, and I want them roughly in this order. Um, and the the platform will figure all of that out for you. Um, and that means 
that it's quite a big step forward for accessibility because it's up to the platform as to how to present the things. You've just told it what things you want and in what order and what relationship. Um, but the platform then decides to actually how best to present that to the user. And one of those ways to present that to the user is with assistive technologies. And, and so that has a whole bunch of benefits um, for accessibility and assistive technologies. Um, with Swift, uh, Swift UI charts, um, we've taken all of that um, all of those benefits that we got from regular Swift UI, but are applying it specifically to charts and graphs and, and things like that. Um, so that instead of actually drawing out uh, a chart, we're saying, okay, here's my data. Here, this is the data I want to display. Um, and this is how I want to display it. Um, so the, the style that you want to display it. And then because of that, um, Swift UI can present all of that data um, in a much more accessible way um, than it previously would. So previously, uh, a, a chart would essentially be pretty much just a photo, um, and it wouldn't have all that data behind it for accessibility, for assistive technologies to describe it. Um, but with the Swift UI charts, um, because it, we're, really what we're providing is just data, um, then the Swift, uh, Swift UI paradigm can then go ahead and display that as a visual chart, or it can just present the data to accessibility. And so that can be a chart that's inside of an app. I, I think of the, the uh, screen time app from Apple, or I think of any case where you have data that's in an app, not on a Web page, so it's not a chart I'm drawing on the that I've created in some other way on a web page. It's actually integral to the app and is relying on the data that that app has about me uh, as a user. Yeah, and charts are a really common feature of iOS apps these days. You know, now that we uh, have Apple Watches and we use them for uh, iOS for tracking our fitness and our exercise and what we eat and all of that kind of stuff. Um, all of that produces data, which is really nicely presented or can be really nicely presented as a chart. And so that's the kind of data that we're talking about. Um, I mean, it could certainly be a chart that you created if the app allowed you to do that. Um, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, for example, numbers for iOS might use some of this technology. Um, but uh, certainly... Um, apps, I believe, like um, Pedometer Plus Plus um, from David Smith. I'm, I'm pretty confident that he uses this. Um, and um, there is a, an app called uh, Sleepbot, I believe it is, from a guy called Majid. He makes a lot of use of Swift charts. Um, and so I know that he uses this. And that, what that does is it tracks the quality of your sleep. And so it will show you graphs of how much you've slept and the quality that you slept every night. And all of that uses this Swift UI chart. So um, you very nearly get all of that accessibility for free. So it, because it's such a common thing to have a chart in an app now, um, this makes a real big change because we've gone from being essentially a static image that it was up to the developer to then uh, describe which could be quite different when it's a dynamic chart for that's going to be completely different for every user every day, like for, say a sleep graph would be, um, to one that the developer just provides the data and SwiftUI can then give you, the user, 
all of that data in a way that makes sense to you. That reminds me, of, I don't hear it as much as I used to anymore, but every once in a while I would interact with a developer or I would see a developer talking about accessibility and they would say something like, I found out that my app is accessible and I should have done it, but I didn't do it. But I'm really happy to find out that it has some level of accessibility. And it sounds like charts might be the kind of thing where a developer didn't necessarily consider, well, how do I make this thing uh, accessible. It, it sounds like from a developer point of view, if you can create a chart that's dynamic rather than just essentially inserting what, what amounts to a photo, that, that's that's a better way for the developer to get the data out there as well. And then you get the accessibility benefits for free. Yeah. So I, I was talking to uh, an iOS uh, engineer uh, a couple of weeks ago um, about uh, uh, just iOS developing in general. And I mentioned that I, I I did uh, accessibility and he said, well, what's the need for a, a developer to do accessibility on iOS? Surely you get it all for free. Um, that is definitely the wrong attitude, right? <laughs> you don't get it all for free, but that's what Apple are aiming for. Apple are aiming to have a really good level of accessibility as a baseline so that as a developer, a lot of the time you will only need to make tweaks to make an accessible app because Apple will provide so much of it for free for you. Um, uh, you will, like in nearly every app, you will have to go above and beyond that and you'll have to make tweaks and change things and not everything will make sense out of the box. As long as you've not done anything really wild with the, the APIs and you've not used any of the components in a way that they're not necessarily intended, then your app should be pretty well accessible as it is and you just need to take that extra step of spending some time to, to test your app with something like VoiceOver or Switch Control or Voice Control um, to make sure that they work as, as your users might expect. That is a challenge because you, you, you're either saying to a developer, don't assume it's free, or you're saying, hey, you need to pay attention to accessibility because if you don't, there won't be any accessibility. And I can see how for a developer who hasn't focused on it, there's, there might be a little cognitive dissonance there. Like, you know, which is it? Is, is the Apple platform good for me because I get to create accessibility without a great deal of difficulty? Or is it something that I need to be super mindful of? And I'm, I'm guessing the answer is kind of both. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually had this conversation with uh, someone from Apple a couple of years ago now um, about a new feature that they brought in, which does um, screen recognition. So if an app is really not accessible at all, it is possible for voiceover users to enable a sort of screen recognition mode where voiceover will make a, a kind of best guess at what's on the screen. Um, and Apple's intention there is that they are making apps which otherwise would be completely inaccessible to have some level of accessibility. But my concern is that developers might think, yeah, but Apple have built this thing, which means I don't have to do any accessibility. Um, and I think you're right that you have to kind of think somewhere in the middle. I certainly don't expect um, software engineers to know as much or care as much about iOS accessibility or mobile accessibility as I do. Um, but I expect them to know the basics and to know how to do some basic testing. Um, and then once you know that, and once you've kind of got into a, 
a habit of doing regular testing, then you'll know enough to know when something isn't right. And then you can kind of go and look up, okay, how do I fix this? Or um, can I, where can I get some advice on, on what I should improve here? Well, you mentioned voiceover recognition, so let's go ahead and talk about that. That's a new iOS feature since we last talked. I can't remember if it was 2021. It's, it's, there's now, there are now several components to voiceover recognition, but from a developer point of view, I guess the one to, to talk about is what you were describing where uh, voice, so iOS and voiceover attempt to describe parts of an interface even if they aren't accessible. And I've used this because I have a couple of favorite apps that I'm not a daily voiceover user, as I like to remind people, but I do use it for the book and I do use it on occasion. And so I have a couple of apps that I use that, though they're not completely accessible to voiceover, I really like and I don't want to stop. But whenever I test them with voiceover, I'm still a little bit disappointed. So tell people what how voiceover recognition works and, and sort of what your take on how well it works is. So it's something that is built into iOS. So really, as a developer, it's not something that you need to do at all. Um, and in fact, it's something which I don't pay a whole lot of attention to. And I, I, it's a feature that I don't pay a whole lot of attention to for two reasons. Um, firstly, because um, I'm not a voiceover user. It's not something that I need to, to navigate with. Um, but secondly, because... Um, I kind of feel like if it's one of those features that if you're using it, then something's gone wrong. Um, right. Because like you say, you, you've got a, f a selection of a few apps where um, you use it, but you kind of use it as a last resort. And so I feel like developers shouldn't be aiming for that. They should be aiming to make their apps, give their apps that level of accessibility above that. And I always want to help um, software engineers go that kind of next step to, to go beyond what Apple just gives them for free because what Apple gives them for free is about usable um, but it's never going to be great I want people to have a great experience when they're using the app however they want to use it um, but yeah in terms of how it works um, Apple um, and there's actually a, a research paper uh, on this on uh, I think it's something like apple.com slash research but I, I can find that for you and we can put it in the show notes um, but there's a research paper on this from Apple um, which talks a little bit about how they built this um, and what they did is um, take screenshots of um, iOS apps and kind of annotate them with okay this is a button and this is what it says and this looks like can you know this kind of control and this looks like this kind of control um and so they then fed that into machine learning um and you can fire up this uh, uh recognition feature and it uses that machine learning model and because it knows what ios apps look like and what controls look like it can make a best guess at you know this is what this thing is on screen and it can give you a description of it and tell you that hey this is a button and this is what it says even if that's not accessible um as we kind of know with a lot of machine learning things like uh, you know, this kind of chat gpt and and similar products that are available at the moment that everybody's playing around with and breaking in various different ways it's certainly not foolproof um it's going to make mistakes um but 
it does give you that step up of being from not accessible at all to being getting so part of the way there. Just to sort of drive the point home from the user side, yeah, the, the, it, it is a last resort and it is a situation where you might be in an app. Perhaps it's an app that you have to use because maybe you're doing business with some entity that has a slightly inaccessible app, or in my case, I have a an RSS reader that I'm really fond of, but it just doesn't have everything labeled. And, and for developers who haven't focused on this, sometimes there's partial accessibility. So you might have some buttons that are labeled and some that are not, and that's the bane of voiceover users' existence. And in the particular app that, that I'm talking about, one of the things that made me realize that voiceover recognition is clearly using machine learning is the the back button, the left pointing arrow, is not labeled as a back button, but it is a left pointing arrow, and it looks like most back buttons you've ever seen. And the same thing with the buttons on the bottom menu bar. The the system seems to understand this is where I expect buttons to be. This is what this button looks like. So I'm going to do my best to to interpret it. And I might I might be close. I might be completely right, or I might be utterly wrong. Uh, and it does seem to make mistakes and it doesn't it sometimes it will read text as well because there's also the text recognition feature this app I'm talking about is fairly highly it includes a lot of text but I find I have to turn text recognition on as well for it to work so in other words for a user it's very fiddly it's not reliable and once you get using that sort of thing as a user, it's hard to go back to the developer and say, well, your app is sort of half accessible and here are the ways in which it could be better because the developer heard the part where you said, well, it's accessible, I could use it, uh, <laughs> but didn't necessarily think, well, it, it means that I've decided that for whatever reason, your app is the app that I either want to use or have to use. And the want to use, I, I clearly have many choices when it comes to RSS readers, and I just have, have picked one that I like because I have the luxury of doing that. Uh, but it, if it were a banking app or a, an insurance app or some other app where there's no choice uh, and I'm the customer of that company, then that's a whole other kettle of fish from the user side of things. You, you told me about a project you were working on uh, to do automated accessibility checks for iOS uh, with an organization called Reveal. Tell me about that. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, so Reveal, um, they have a, a product that's been around for a few years now, which um, lets uh, iOS engineers um, inspect the user interface on their apps. So um, it kind of hooks into the app that you're building and you can inspect the level of the various different views because you, when you have a what's drawn on screen, we'd call that a view, but it's made up of loads and loads of different little sub views. So every label is going to be a sub view and every button is going to be a sub view that then has another sub view inside it, which is the, the text and another sub view that's the background of the button, for example. And sometimes those views can get quite complicated. So this tool allows you to really kind of dive deeply into what's being rendered and what's what's being drawn on screen and in what order. So you can figure out if there's something that isn't quite right. Um, well, last year um, they released on, actually on Global Accessibility Awareness Day in May, they released a feature which um, uses all of those uh, that powerful kind of tools that they've built in um, to uh, also show information about the accessibility tree. So the accessibility tree is um, 
the the data which things like voiceover and switch control and voice control and full keyboard access it's the the data that those assistive te- technologies use to um, present and to navigate your app and so they built in a feature into their reveal app which presents all of that data to um, you as a developer so that you can see in a similar way to how you would visually see um, the user interface, you can now visually see the accessibility interface, which is really great for uh, a developer who is visual because uh, the only other way really of, of navigating that, of to checking it, is to fire up something like VoiceOver and to, to listen to it the way you would as a user. Um, so it gives you, as a, a visual developer, it gives you that bit more uh, detail. What I've been working with them over the last uh, few months is uh, something that takes all of that data, so all of the data that they've pulled from the visual user interface and all of the data they've pulled from the accessibility tree, um, and we're running some tests on that to see, okay, if, you, if you've done this and if you've done that and if you've done that, that might cause this particular accessibility problem for your users. Um, so we're we're pulling all of that together and we've got this huge list of potential things that as a developer you could do without necessarily realizing um and we're just giving you the information of saying hey you might just want to take another look at this so none of it i think we're saying this is definitely going to be wrong or this is if you fix all of these things your app is going to be 100% accessible you can never say that from accessibility from uh, automated accessibility testing the only way you can know that your app is fully accessible is from testing it with real users Um, but we're just giving this as a guide to say this is something that we think you might want to just take a closer look at this somewhere where maybe you've not used a correct label or you've not used the API correctly. Um, and so we're hoping that that tool is really going to help people uh, just give that extra little bit of thought to accessibility in their app because we're just going to surface those bits of information uh, for people to take a closer look at. It reminds me of, uh, you know, apps uh, mostly on uh, desktop platforms, but there's some mobile ones too that do web accessibility testing and they're testing against the WCAG standards. Whereas I would imagine that your challenge is greater because sure you have Apple's interface rules and some accessibility parameters, but is it is it more subject- subjective than say web development tools where they're testing against a known standard? So we're still using uh, WCAG, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. It is slightly more complex in that the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, as the name suggests, is really intended for use on the web. They kind of try and be platform agnostic, but in reality, they're not. Um, And so that's what a lot of the work that I've been doing um, with Reveal is. Um, is I've been reading through the web content accessibility guidelines and trying to translate that into what that means for iOS. Um, But we're not just taking that as well. We're taking the HIG, the the human interface guidelines, which is Apple's guidelines for how to best create uh, their, their kind of best practices for not just accessibility, but in general, creating a, a, a best in class iOS app. Um, and so we, we've gone through those um, and where they've said, um, 
you should do this or you shouldn't done shouldn't do this we've tried to build up some rules that kind of f- will potentially flag things that don't match what apple is suggesting and what's the status of that product is it available now or is it still being worked on so um they are putting the finishing touches to it now i understand um and i think it will be available a little later on this year that's really cool i look forward to seeing that and uh with any luck, folks will be able to talk about it at WWDC coming up in June. <laughs> Let's hope so. I would hope so. That'd be great. So, Rob, you mentioned to me, and I didn't, I didn't know this, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say. You mentioned to me that you are a user of accessibility features, and so I'd, I'd love to hear your sort of personal perspective on on this stuff. Yeah, I when we were sort of put, uh, going backwards and forwards on on some things that we might want to talk about, um, I wondered if. Uh, it might be useful if I give a bit of background on the assistive technologies that I use personally when I'm using my iPhone. And the reason I was thinking about this is because I don't think it's anything I've ever really shared before. Um, but I thought it might give some people uh, a bit of an insight into the kind of things that people might want to use on their device. Because um, one thing that we we've both said that we, we want to make really clear is that accessibility is about more than just voiceover. Voiceover is obviously an incredibly important feature, an incredibly important tool and essential tool for many, many people. But it's not the only thing to think about when we're considering accessibility. Um, so I don't have a visual impairment at all. I, my eyesight is fantastic, um, but I am deaf in my left ear. Um, and I have a, a balance disorder, which is related to that. And so both of those have things which um, mean I use technology um, with various different settings. Um, I'm also dyslexic, um, which has impacts as well. So I thought maybe this might help people if I kind of say, these are the features which I use and, and here's why, just as a, a kind of a case study really. So for me, the, the most important things um, is reduced motion and video autoplay, which are both features in iOS. So I have uh, video autoplay disabled, and that's a, a feature that um, iOS engineers can listen to if they have an app with videos, and they can tell that I've got that turned on um, or turned off, perhaps. Um, and so when they're showing videos, if they detect that that's turned off, they will only play that video if I actually tap on the video. Um, there is a very popular Mastodon client, which I'm using at the moment, which doesn't pay attention to that feature, um, which means that whenever I scroll through Mastodon and there's a post with an embedded GIF or video, that automatically plays, which is not fantastic for someone who has a, a, a balance disorder. Um, reduced motion is similar as well. So that uh, is something where developers can um, if they have animations built into their apps, which most apps do these days, um, they will maybe not animate or reduce the speed or reduce the frequency of animation. Uh, and that makes a big difference to me. Um, I have mono audio turned on because I only have mono hearing. So anything stereo makes no difference to me. So that's, again, something that developers can listen to, particularly if you've got a game, for example. Games will sometimes hint at where 
the position of something might be by playing sound more through the left or more through the right, that's not going to help me at all. So I have mono audio turned on and that means that the game can listen to that and give it a hint, maybe visually. It feels like the lesson of that, because those are all features I know to exist and I explain in the writing that I do, but they are literally toggles and they are, you know, ones among many. But that's what I find so amazing about the iOS accessibility suite and that there, there's, there are ways that you can tune it to specifically address your needs as a user and ways developers can respect those settings in building apps the way they want to build them, but also saying, well, for somebody who can't deal with, who doesn't want to deal with audio video play, auto video play or cannot or reduce, wants reduced motion, you know, let's just go ahead and respect that setting. And that seems like a, a fairly simple, straightforward choice for a developer to make. And it's, it's good to know that those features are, you know, useful on the user side. Yeah, the, the important thing is that I suppose as a, as a developer, you need to know that those features are, are available. So, for example, in uh, the, the Mastodon client where it's playing, auto-playing videos, my guess is that the developer doesn't know that that is an option. Um, and because, you know, unless you've thoroughly read through all of the documentation for um, UI accessibility, you, you probably wouldn't know that that was there, um, you know, unless you've read everything or you're a user of that feature. Um, but it's something that Apple can't do for you. Whereas with things like voiceover, as we've discussed, and switch control and voice control, Apple can always do a best guess on, on features like that um, by using one feature or another to, to figure out some of developer intention. Yes, we can always tweak it and improve it, but they can always do a best guess. But with things like video autoplay, well, um, Apple can't know that you're necessarily using video or that you're using animation if, if you've got the re reduced motion enabled or um, things like um, uh, with closed captioning, they can't provide closed captioning for you. And that's kind of available, sort of. We can maybe talk about that a little bit more. Um, but the, it's something that you as a developer, you have to think about what features are, uh, are available on iOS and how they apply to your app. Um, so video autoplay is not going to apply to the majority of apps that are out there on the App Store. But if you have an app that does have GIFs or videos in it, then it definitely applies to you. Right. And there are probably other features like that that you're, you're talking from your personal experience, but there are certainly uh, display and contrast features, obviously dynamic type. Uh, there, there are things to do with uh, hearing that, yeah, probably fly under the radar in that sense because you, as a developer, might think mostly about supporting voiceover, which gives you support for switch control and the other things that use the accessibility tree, but doesn't necessarily hit those other features that look like just, you know, unsuspecting little toggles under accessibility somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. A great example of that is uh, shake to undo. So you might be familiar with the feature on iOS where if you shake the device, it will ask you if you want to undo whatever it is, right. whatever action that you've just performed. And um, that's obviously not going to work for everybody. If you have, um, for example, motor issues that uh, mean that you can't control the movement in your hands very well, then 
maybe you can't perform that gesture or perhaps you will shake it unintentionally. Um, if some uh, wheelchair users will have their device mounted to their chair so that they obviously then can't shake that. So they'll, they'll then want to disable shake to undo, um, which means that if you have an app where being able to undo something is quite important, then you'll want to listen to shake to undo so that you can make uh, perhaps an undo button more prominent or add an undo button where it might be a useful feature um, where you maybe wouldn't have one if shake to undo was enabled. Rob, this has been really great and I've really enjoyed getting to talk to you again and um, get the developer's perspective on so many iOS topics. And I guess before we sign off, I wanted to ask you, are there, and this is a question I always get as an accessibility user, uh, people want to know, what are the things I want to see? What what would I what would what would be my wish list, major or minor? And I guess I wonder, as a developer, are are there things that you would like to see in development for uh, accessibility that that maybe either don't exist yet or perhaps are not as well put together as as you might like? Um, I think that the APIs for for accessibility on iOS are really good. Um, I, for the most part, I would probably want to be uh, driven by users for, for things like that. I would want to know what features um, users would want um, because voiceover is, is fantastic, a switch control is fantastic, but there can always be things that can make those features simpler. So if there's anything that Apple can do from that perspective that we can support as developers, I'm always on board with that. Um, I suppose the big one, it's not really an iOS thing. Uh, it's for macOS, but macOS doesn't have uh, dynamic type, doesn't have built-in text scaling like iOS does, um, which I think would be a huge benefit to macOS um, to be able to, to just scale text in, in apps to something that is more comfortable for, for everybody to, to use at their own chosen text size. That would be a huge benefit. I'd love to see that too. And I, I think especially given improving resolution displays, I mean, you have you have 4 and 5K displays, you have the studio display now, and the higher the resolution, the smaller things look on giant screens. And, you know, I, for one, there's certain screen sizes I don't choose to use because they're really big. And if there was dynamic type, I mean, again, this is from my user point of view, but that's that's the side I'm on. Uh, you know, it would be great to be able to have those those options the way we do on web browsers, where we can we can zoom in or out either uh, at will, or we can set the browser to do a zoom level that's more comfortable for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a feature I use quite regularly. It's just pinching or Command Plus to to zoom in on a web page. It just makes it that little more comfortable. Um, and it's a shame that we can't do that in every app. Well, Rob, tell people where they can find you. We're going to have links to the things we talked about in the show notes, including your book. Uh, but if people uh, want to say uh, how much they enjoyed the show or just get in touch with you, where, where can they find you? Uh, so these days, I suppose I am mostly on Mastodon, uh, and I'm going to have to check that because I think this is the first time I've ever said it out loud. Uh, so I am uh, Rob W at iosdev.space. 
Um, so you can. We've find had me this on ongoing that. conversation about how to say Mastodon URLs because that's kind of <laughs> the way I want to say it. And I and I had the weird experience the other day of uh, because I I know the person who runs the uh, Mastodon instance I'm part of. I got an email that was addressed to my Mastodon account, which got forwarded to me because he runs the domain. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, we need to sort this out. <laughs> that's not what it's for. <laughs> Remember, you can keep up with the show at relay.fm slash parallel. You can subscribe there in all your favorite pod catchers, as well as fill out the feedback form if you have commentary or questions for the show. You can find the Parallel merch store and get your own brand new Accessibility Sprinkles shirt. That's on the sidebar, as well as in the show notes for this episode, since the shirts are brand new. So go get your shirts again in men and women's sizes and in many fun colors. You can also follow the show on Mastodon. I'm at RelayFM.social, and the username is Parallel. You can follow me personally on Mastodon, Zeppelin.flights, username Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. And if you're still on Twitter, uh, you can find us there too, but you're going to have to look for that one. See you in a couple of weeks with another episode. Bye now.